You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Happy Friday to everybody. Thanks for listening to the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast presented by Window Nation. Uh, By the way, I really appreciate uh, all of you that have not only downloaded and listened to the show, but have rated it highly as well. That's good. Keep it up. It helps. Mark isn't here today. Aaron is. He's a Terp. We've got some Terps talk today. Mike Shanahan coming up on the show. Smell test later on. And we've got a lot of Friday football quick picks with my good friend Tim Murray. Lots of gambling talk. And I'll get to the Skins beat Colts if... Uh, in about a minute. I wanted to start the show with last night in college football. Not Division I college football, but Davidson is an FCS program. That's the old Division II. They hosted Guilford, a Division III program. In one of those games, it got moved up because of Hurricane Florence. And the final score of the game, this was a football game, the final score of the game was Davidson 91, Guilford 61. Are you sure Steph Curry wasn't playing that one? Exactly. 91-61, Davidson over Guilford in a football game. Listen to some of these numbers from the game last night. Davidson set NCAA records for total yards and rushing yards in a game. They had 964 yards of total offense, 685 rushing yards in the game. They set program records for 57 points in the first half and 524 yards in the first half. The score at halftime was 57 to 26. They averaged 15 and a half yards per play. Eight of Davidson's program record 13 touchdowns in the game went for at least 50 yards. And then five Davidson rushers had at least 80 yards and a touchdown in the game. Their two top rushers went for 186 yards and 168 yards. Now, Guilford had a pretty good game offensively, too. 61 points and 698 total yards. The two teams combined for 1,662 yards of offense and 152 points in the game. Davidson's football Twitter account posted video of the performance with the caption, Highlights? Yeah, we had some of those. Uh, I said on the show with Cooley about a year ago, it was one of these bold prediction segments. My prediction was that within the next three years, someone in college football would score 100 points in a game. It has gotten completely out of control in college football with the offense. And it's all due to one thing in particular, and that is... There are so many big plays in college football, big chunk plays, and every time you move the sticks, the clock stops. And if they just eliminated that rule and kept the flavor of the rule, because everybody knows college football at the end, if you get a first down, clock stops, they move the chains, make it a final two minutes of the half or two minutes of the game rule. 91-61, the only thing I could not find on this game, Aaron, was how long it lasted. I was going to say, do you think that had to be a serious pace of play issue uh, right there? I mean, you had games in the first two weeks of college football that went longer than four hours. Oh, just look at the Maryland-Texas game week one. Well, that was because well, of the de- but delay. Even, even without the delay, that was a, I mean, the first quarter was over an hour. This football game had to be four and a half hours plus. Um, The Thursday night NFL game was actually a good football game, except for some of the flags for contact. I mean, it's getting completely out of control. 
Andy Dalton got pushed after a throw, and Walt Coleman flagged the push as a late hit. Uh, Troy Aikman calling the game. Remember, Fox has the Thursday night package, so it's uh, you get um, Aikman and Buck uh, this year on Thursday night games. Aikman, after that particular flag, said that Walt Coleman was a better protector of Dalton than Dalton's offensive line. Um, it is getting out of control with the protection of the players. Um, it's a fine line they are walking, and I understand, and I don't have a problem with safety and trying to keep these players protected. But they are uh, walking a very fine line of impacting um, what we like about the NFL. And last night, I thought there were four or five flags that were completely un- unnecessary. Now, the Bengals won the game 34-23. to It was a smell test when I gave out the Bengals minus one yesterday at the end of the show. Um, and by the way, yes, I do like the Ravens this year, and I've talked about the Ravens for uh, the length of this podcast, which is now a week old. All right, we made it at least a week. And I like the Ravens to win 11-plus games this year. I think they're, they're a Super Bowl, an AFC championship contender in the AFC. But the smell test dictated last night that I give out the Bengals minus one, and it was right. Sure to go on the list of coaching blunders uh, on Tuesday when I do that segment is what John Harbaugh and the Ravens didn't do at the end of that game. Down 34-23 late in the game, um, they must not know that you can't score 11 points on one possession. It's a two-possession game at 34-23. A field goal is necessary, and they had two opportunities, one with 44 seconds and one with 28 seconds, well in range for really the greatest kicker of this recent generation, Justin Tucker, to kick a field goal to get the game to 34-26 and then give them a chance, give them a chance to line up to kick an onside kick But they decided that they would concede the game at 34-23, throwing underneath check down throws and letting the clock run out. That is stupid at the highest levels. And that will be number one. Well, maybe not. We've got a whole weekend of football to go. But they tapped out. And I don't understand it because John Harbaugh typically is very good at this stuff. Very good at this stuff. But you got to kick a field goal with either 44 seconds left or the clock stopped at 28 seconds left. You got to trot Tucker out there, kick the field goal, line up for an onside kick, and you're good to go. But they didn't do it. Um, All right, let's get to Redskins beat Colts if. Um, All right. This, you know, I loved doing this Friday show with Cooley, and I'm still working on it for those that keep asking for it. Um, I want him to at least join me one day a week to do film breakdown. I am trying to make that happen. Trust me. Colts, Skins beat Colts if. Um, I've got three keys to the Skins beating the Colts. Um, At what is now, as of now, a non-sellout crowd officially for the first time in 50-plus years. You can actually get tickets at redskins.com for this game, and the weather is supposed to be fine. Skins beat Colts if, number one, Alex Smith and the Redskins offense offense simply just takes what Indy's defense gives them. The Colts couldn't stop Joe Mixon last week. He averaged 5.6 yards per carry on 17 carries, and the Redskins ran it all over Arizona with Peterson and Thompson. Indy may decide to stack the box, stop the run, but they're in trouble on the back end if they do that. Andy Dalton completed 21 of 28 last week. The Bengals scored 27 points on offense last week on just 50 offensive snaps. 
Alex Smith just needs to take what they give. If they stack the box, throw it. If they don't run it, it appears to me as if the Skins might be able to do both this year pretty well. No good matchups for Indy's defense with a small upfront D-line and not that good on the back end at this point. This feels to me like a game where the Redskins offense could go for 28-plus. I don't see the Colts stopping the Redskins. The Skins get stopped if they stop themselves with penalties, with turnovers, drop passes, that kind of thing. Other than that, they're going to score. Uh, Key number two, Skins beat Colts if... They win the red zone battle. Um, I just mentioned that I believe the Skins will be able to move the football. I think they're going to be in the red zone a ton. And they just have to finish, which is something they did in week one. They were three for four against the Cardinals. Indy's going to move the football too. Look, Luck looked pretty good in his return, and he was emotional afterwards. And you're going to have him now more comfortable, at ease, knowing that he's back, after you know has one game under his belt. They've got weapons in T.Y. Hilton. The NC State rookie running back, uh, Hines, is fast. He's a playmaker. Um, They like him a ton there. And guess who's already a favorite of Andrew Luck? Remember the love Jay Gruden had for Ryan Grant? And most Redskins fans would would always sort of scratch their heads and say, "Uh, we don't see it. Well, Andrew Luck targeted Ryan Grant nine times in the opener last week. Grant caught, caught eight balls for 59 yards. And the Colts went one for three in the red zone. So, um, look, the Redskins would pay for that. They'll they'll take one for three from Indy in the red zone. I do think the Skins' defense is underrated. I do. Um, However, I think Indy will have chances in this game offensively, and the team that finishes consistently, finishes consistently in the red zone on offense will win the game. Touchdowns versus field goals on on this particular Sunday, to me, in a game that, that feels like, feels like, a 34-28, 34-31 kind of shootout. That's what it feels like to me right now on Friday. Um, last thing, Skins beat Colts if they cover the Colt tight ends. This is very often over the years where Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck goes with the ball. Jack Do- uh, Doyle last week, Jack Doyle, their tight end, seven catches, 60 yards, even though he fumbled away the game on the potential game-winning drive uh, against the Bengals. Eric Ebron is in Indy. Uh, coming over from Detroit, um, he never really got it going as a lion, but he had four catches for 51 yards. He's got talent. The Colts were 11 for 17 on third down last week, and Ebron and Doyle were a big part of that. So Zach Brown, Ryan Kerrigan, let's hope Greg Minuski learned enough last year to know that neither one of them should ever be in coverage uh, unless it's by accident. Um, Hilton's going to be a big focus for the defense, but those tight ends – uh, should also be a focus. If they end up with 11 combined catches for over 100 yards, that means more likely than not the Colts are making a ton of conversions on third down and moving the sticks. So they've got to cover the tight ends in this game. Uh, so overall, take what the defense gives them, win the red zone battle, and cover their tight ends. Don't let Andrew Luck complete balls on third and five to Jack Doyle to move the sticks and keep the keep the clock rolling. That's a big key 
to the game. Uh, when we come back, Mike Shanahan will be my guest. Uh, this is the Kevin Sheehan Show, and we are presented by Window Nation, and it's back to school time. And to help you get educated about Window Nation, they're offering instruction on supply and demand. Beat the fall rush. Window Nation has extra capacity now, so lock in the lowest pricing before the demand goes up. With Window Nation's back to school sale, you get one free window for every window you buy, wood or vinyl styles. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There's no limit. Get an A-plus in savings and receive 0% interest for five full years. That's like a free ride until 2023. Use it towards your kids' books, clothes, backpacks, shoes, or even treat yourself. It's smart to go with Window Nation. When it comes to windows, they're first in class. Now it's your turn to go to the head of the class. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. Get one free window for every one you buy. Buy four, get four free. There's no limit. I have Window Nation windows in my home. They are the easiest people to work with, and they're always there for you. Receive 0% interest until 2023. That's five full years. Do a little homework today. Get your windows installed before the cold arrives, and save big during Window Nation's back-to-school sale. Call today, 866-90-NATION, or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION, or windownation.com. Tell them Kevin Sheehan sent you. Mike Shanahan joins the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. And most of, most of you know who have listened to me over the years, I really like Mike a lot. I, I never wanted him gone in 2013. That's another story. And by the way, you and I have covered all of that ground uh, in the past. But how are you? I'm doing great, Kev. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Are you playing a lot of golf? I am. You know what I did? My last day of my vacation, I went out with uh, about five couples. We went to uh, Venice in the Croatia area. And the last day that I was leaving, I was water skiing, and I was getting up on one ski and tried to pull up a little bit too quick and pull a hamstring off my uh, <laughs> hip bone. So <laughs> I've been out of commission here golfing for about the last six weeks. Well, you know what? That, that's perfect timing because that means you can sit there and watch games and watch film all week. In, in all seriousness, do you still do that? <laughs> do you watch film? That's exactly what I've been doing. It's been obviously a blessing in disguise because my golf game's not very good anyhow. So... <laughs> I've got a chance to do some things I'm better at. <laughs> well, you know, John Gruden was away from the game a lot longer than you were, you know, and he got $100 million. It's got to make you think about it a little bit, right? You know, you know what's really fun is to have people that are involved in the game, that like your, your son or different coaches that you've been with, like Sean as well, that uh, our head coaches or coordinators that uh, are having a lot of success and you look at what they're doing, and you just you just enjoy following them and following them on a week by week basis. In some situations, it's a day by day time frame. Are you going to Kyle's games, or are you watching them on TV? You know, I normally watch them on TV. It all depends on who's going to the game. Anytime you're in a place like San Francisco, and the weather's great, you have a lot of people that visit. And so, I I, I don't like to put too much pressure on the family because after the games. You know, they got a little time, but they're back the next day. They're ready to go back to work. So what I'd like to do is, you know, uh, go out there as much as I can, but uh, understand, you know, the commitments that he has toward other people after the game as well. So right. when we do go out there, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I try to go out there two or three times a year or three or four times and watch some games, but most of the times I'll watch it on TV. All right, uh, I'll circle back to the 49ers and the, their opponent last week, um, the Vikings with Kirk at quarterback. But I wanted to start with the Redskins. Um, 
They beat Arizona last week. Uh, it certainly looked like Arizona was ill-prepared for the season opener. They've got the Colts at home on Sunday. Mike, some of us around here actually, and, I, and I'm one of those, I actually think the roster, the Redskins roster, is underrated better than many, uh, many think. What do you think? I agree with you 100%. Uh, they've got an excellent football team. Uh, right now they have depth at almost all the different positions. I think uh, a team that's well put together. The thing I was really impressed with their game plan uh, that they came out with against uh, Arizona. Different things they did on offense, uh, things they haven't done in the past. I was uh, very impressed. You know, you t- They still have the counter trade. They still got the pound draws, the outside zones. But they did the inside zones. But they did different thing with the RPOs, the zone read, the speed option, the empty sets to give a guy like Smith the ability to key one side or the other or make some play with his legs. Uh, that was just a well-conceived game plan, and uh, they, they played accordingly. Yeah, it was something that I think we all noticed, the wrinkles to the run game. Um, you know they've struggled to run the football here since you left, and Last year, you know, Cooley, you know, told me over and over again, you, you watch the league and you and I have had this conversation, the read option. I mean, the, the zone read is, is here to stay as, as you and I b- both have talked about many times. It's still funny to hear people think uh, and watch it and think it's something else, but the wrinkles they threw in with a lot of motion, with a lot of fly sweep action is it was sort of new for, for Jay and for Callahan uh, here on, on Sunday. And, and, and by the way, Mike, they've got talent at running back, including the guy you drafted, Chris Thompson. Now, Chris looks great, and uh, Pete Peterson had a great game. He looks like he, he was playing five, six years ago. Uh, very impressive. Uh, I thought the offensive line played excellent. I mean, even things they've done in the past, you know, the counter trades, the punt draws, just like we talked about the outside zones, the inside zones. But to do the things they did with uh, the RPOs, the zone read, the speed option, and a lot of people really don't know how to do, and they incorporated all that in the game plan that really gave Arizona fits. All right, here's the one question of the offseason around here. It's been debated since, you know, Kirk signed in Minnesota and the Redskins made the trade for Alex Smith. Um, A lot of people around here really believe that Alex Smith was an upgrade over Kirk Cousins. Your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, it all depends what type of system you're going to run. If you're looking to run a pro-style offense, uh, I don't think you can get a better uh, quarterback than Kirk Cousins. Now, Kirk can run everything. He can run the RPOs, his own read, the speed option as well, but he's not going to beat you with his legs. Kirk is going to beat you with his mind. He's got very, he makes very quick, quick decisions. He knows exactly where everybody is on the field. He's a natural thrower, uh, quick decision maker, very accurate. And, and and Smith, I haven't studied him obviously, like I, I but I've watched him through the years. I mean, this guy's a smart guy. This guy can make plays with his legs, and he might not be the most natural thrower, but he's a good thrower. And his intelligence, you can see on a game-to-game basis, is probably as good as anybody. But he's an athlete. He's going to make plays just like he did against Arizona. And when you give a person an offense like uh, they gave. Uh, uh, Smith in the first game, he's going to do that to defenses. And if they're not prepared, they have no chance. You know, you, you the three best players on offense right now when they're healthy are Trent Williams, Chris Thompson, and Jordan Reed. You drafted all three of them. 
Um, we know what this team's been when they've been healthy. Just give me a, a, a few, you know, a, a few seconds on on each of those players and and what you thought you had when you drafted them and what they've become. Well, when you talk about Trent, and you know, all of a sudden you talk to the coaching staff, everybody felt that Oklahoma that he was by far the best athlete on the team. I mean, here's a guy that's you know 320 pounds that can run four seven forty. And the only reason why he didn't play defense all the time, um, he just didn't want to. And he just dominated so much at his position against the players at Oklahoma that uh, he, was just, uh, he was just really a freak athlete. And once he got to the next level of pro football where he could compete against the best players every day, he was competitive too. And we found that out very quickly. So to, to get a guy like Trent with that pick that early and having a, a few decisions to make at that time was a big blessing in disguise for us to have the fourth pick of the draft with a guy like that. What did you see and in Jordan? The, and Jordan was a guy that was at uh, you know at Florida, and it, there was you know, he was a, you know a quarterback, an excellent quarterback. He's kind of a freak as a freshman and a, and a sophomore uh, in college that he was just a natural athlete, but he was a guy that was not an overachiever in college, but he was, you could see his athletic ability if he played uh, any other position besides quarterback. And uh, one of the reasons why he went in the third round, but uh, if you uh, would have ever played him at a different position early, he would have been an uh, easy first round pick and had the option to play or had the ability to play a number of different positions where he could line up inside or outside as a wide receiver tight end. And we thought he was very competitive, and he was he was a good kid, and especially after you got to know him. I had a, a good friend of mine, which was Lee McGriff, who kind of did a play-by-play uh, for the Gators for about 15 years. And uh, he said, hey, if they would have used him at a position that uh, he could play, which is a wide receiver, he said, you you get a guy that's really special. But doesn't know how to practice yet, doesn't know how to do things the right way. He's got to be able to stay healthy, do all the things that he's been inconsistent with, but you can see the athletic ability out there. Uh, I, I'm just going to ask you this to, to share this one story. Um, you loved Jordan Reed in that draft. Who did your quarterback that particular year come in and tell you to draft? Do you remember that story that you told me? <laughs> that, that Robert really wanted a, a, the Baylor receiver. To, uh, well, yeah, was, I know, and, and players are like that because you yeah. know they're you know they're friends with these guys and they don't look at them you know the way you do and you know you take everybody's input and you don't try to go one way or the other but that is not untypical of quarterbacks right. you know they they got a friend and they know him well and you you evaluate people differently and and, and Robert was just really trying to help us at that time and. Uh, but uh, he wanted you know, Terrence he, Williams, the receiver from Baylor. Oh, there's no question. No, no question. <laughs> Terrence was the big guy. He was actually he was politicking for him as soon as the day started. So <laughs> he was he was hoping that, that we finally wind up with him. Do you think Jordan Reed healthy is 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 in that conversation with Gronk and Kelsey? I don't think there's any question about it. You know, I think that's the thing that has kept him from just being a Pro Bowl player every year. Is he hasn't been on the field. But if he's on the field, you can't cover him. And he has the ability to block as well when he wants to. He's got to be there practicing every day. And if he is, um, you're not going to cover him. Corners can't cover him. He knows how to get open. He knows how to set defenders up. And it doesn't matter if it's a linebacker or safety or a corner, he's going to beat him.
Uh, Chris Thompson's development, it, it came around slowly. There were injuries there the, few, uh, the first few years. But, Mike, he's turned into, you know, one of the top three or four pass-catching backs in the league, right? You know, he was that way in college, too. And, you know, he had a, he had a couple injuries. He was averaging over well over seven yards of carry. I mean, any time you do that as a running back and you're playing at Florida State, that's pretty impressive. But I was so impressed with what type of guy he was, you know, back in college, how he handled himself, how he worked, how he did the little things the right way. And to get him on uh, on our football team, I believe he was, what was that, fifth round? Yeah, fifth round. Fifth round back then. And to get that guy then and knowing what uh, what type of guy he was, what type of football player he was, you're just hoping in time he's going to turn out to just what he's doing right now. And... uh you know, he's going to be your team captain just because of the way he handles himself. And everybody's pulling for Chris because he's just a class one individual. All right, let's go around the league a little bit. Give me some teams right now you really like. You know, I always say this for the first – this is what I try to do for the first three or four games. I try not to really rank anybody. I just try to study him Because a lot of these teams, you don't know what they do during preseason. They don't play all their starters. They don't have game plans. You're not, they're not really sure on who their best players are. So, and what I usually do is try to save that for after the third or fourth game. I'm like everybody else. I think everybody knows the teams that were great last year, the teams that have you know, excellent football players coming back and who should be the team. But I like to wait until after that third or fourth game to say, okay, these teams will be there. And once they're there, they've got a chance, if they do get to the playoffs, to win a Super Bowl. It's funny that you say that because I was going to ask you how much the first few weeks of the season um, from a fan perspective are really fool's gold because it just seems like the league has always been a week-to-week league. Um, but especially early in the year, it's just tough to figure out you know, what you have and, and what teams have and what they don't have. And we know every year half the teams that are, in, that are in the postseason were teams that no one was expecting to be any good when the season began. Um, so I'll ask you that. Is, is there a team that perhaps wasn't – that may be flying under the radar a little bit, wasn't in the postseason last year, and I know it's early, but that you sort of liked coming into this year? Well, you know, it, it's funny because when I take a look at these teams, I'm kind of like even Indy playing this week. You know, I watch them in preseason and I watch their defense. And so, you know, they're a little bit better than people think they are. You know, you can see that they're not an experienced team yet, and obviously you got Andrew Luck, and everybody knows what he can what he can do. But when you take a you know football team and you're putting eleven guys together, and you got a new defensive coordinator, or maybe the same defensive coordinator, but you've got different people, that's why it's so fun to watch this time of year to see which people are you know which people are running the system that they want. They can figure out if their quarterback, if it's a Mayfield with Cleveland, you know, how good is Mayfield? I, I don't know how good he is. But I tell you one thing, he's been impressive, you know, sometimes. Uh, you give him a system that, you know, he's confident in. You can see what he did in college. And now if he can do some of those things at pro ball, at the pro level, but you have to give him the opportunity to run it. And it's going to be interesting for me to see what Cleveland does with Mayfield over the next uh, few games. And they, they have a first off against an opportunity to play. They have a good defense too, Mike. They've got a good young defense and that Miles no, Garrett looks run. like yeah. They got pass rushers, they got yep. speed and uh, they're they're a very talented team. Um 
What about Sean? When did, did you know? I know what you thought about your son Kyle, and you you always felt you know as and it's hard to be objective when he's your son, but you always said, "Look, he's one of the best coaches, and he was the best hire I could have made." And I think you always knew he would be a a head coach. Did you think Sean McVay, when you first met Sean, was a future head coach? When I brought when Sean came in, and we had John Emery was our tight end coach, yep. and I was going to uh, interview four people. And Sean was my first guy. And, after, of course, I knew his dad very well. You know, he was the GM of right. our team and vice president of the 49ers at that time. And I thought the world of his grandfather. But I did not know Sean. But after my interview with him for a half hour, you know, I went into guys, we don't, we don't have to look any further. This guy, this guy's a slam dunk. This guy not only uh, has a good feel for the uh, tight end position, He's got a good feel for the running game, the passing game. You can tell that he, you know, he's a worker. I did not know exactly how detailed he was until after the first year when John went to Colorado as the head coach. And I talked to Sean, and I said, hey, you know, you're going to be the tight end coach, and I know you do a great job. How much pride he would take both in the running game and the passing game. And that's what you have to have. You can find out very quickly, and as I told people, and I told uh, a number of people uh, that – those two guys would be head coaches very quickly. And Kyle and Sean, when they did get their opportunity, uh, they're going to be in this league for a long time because the attention to detail that they had in the game, both on offense and defense, I mean, they took pride knowing every coverage. They took pride knowing every front, who had what responsibilities in the run, who had the hook zone, who had the curl flat. You know, he, they knew those things, or at least they were working on it. And then when you give a guy like that the opportunity to call plays like Sean did uh, after we got fired for those next three years, and then being with a different guy, a different head coach, learning a different system, different running game, a guy just grows. And they have the background Sean did with a guy like Gruden, with a guy like myself, or a guy like Jay. That just keeps on adding on to your expertise and when you've got the attention to detail that Sean has had, it didn't surprise me at all. And then he hired the right guy. You've got to hire a guy like Wade Phillips that understands defense, that you're not afraid to hire a guy that you know knows a whole lot more than you do about defense, even though you've got a good feel. You know, he's been there for his, how many years Wade has been there, and he's not afraid to hire a guy like that. And so it's an, I mean, even hiring a guy like Matt LaFleur, who had been with Kyle for how many years? To, you know, knowing that Sean's coming as a head coach and he can't do everything, help him with the installation schedule and do all those type of things. And when you have the confidence and you're a smart guy like Sean is, good things are going to happen. What did you think of Kirk's first game? I know you watched that game because they were playing the 49ers. What did you think of him and the Vikings offense? Well, number one, you know, I think they're trying to feel everybody out. I'm not exactly sure what offense they're running. Because I could tell in the fourth quarter they were probably a little bit more conservative yes. than they normally would be in the first half. They went out there and kind of attacked a little bit. I did not see that in the second half. But like I said, you're never, you're never really sure you know, what a guy's doing or how he's calling plays because they actually had the game won. You know, the way they took control of it, and San Francisco was lucky enough to get back into the game if they would have, would have made a couple more plays. But Kirk is, I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan, as you guys have known for a long time. The reason why I am, I've seen it every day in practice. When you're around a guy every day, 
and you, you're around him for years, and you see how he operates, how he handles people, what type of leader he is, how he handles the scout team, how he handles his business both on and off the field. Uh, it doesn't take you long to understand that this guy is a quick decision maker. He understands the process. He understands the intangibles. Uh, he's got the arm strength and all the other things and, and the ability to uh, get rid of the ball quickly and do some things with his legs, even though that's not his you know, uh, strength. But uh, he, if he, he's a guy that can win you a Super Bowl. And if you've got a good defense around him, um, you're going to win games. And people say, oh, you know, Kirk never won a playoff game. Well, you don't win a playoff game if you're never in the upper half of the league on defense. Yeah. You've got to you know, you get your football team some players, some speed. And once you're doing like what, uh, in my opinion, what Washington did, did last week against Arizona, um, they just dominated the game. They, yep. they ran the ball. They took the pressure off the defense. When the defense got some of the pressure taken off them, they, they, they played unbelievably well. So I, I'm very impressed with the football team. I, I, thought, I thought that the, the Minnesota offense with Filippo, I was expecting to see some of the stuff I saw in Philadelphia last year, but I thought it was pretty bland. And maybe it's because it's early and it's, it was the opener. Um, and you're right, Zimmer took his foot off the pedal in the second half. There was no doubt about that. But I just thought offensively it looked very basic. Well, you know what, uh, Kevin, what teams are doing, those RPOs aren't quite as open as they were a year ago. People really doesn't, they don't really understand the RPO game. But the RPO game is basically, is you're not going to block one of those lines. You're, these linebackers are supposed to have gap responsibilities. And when they do play their gap, you know, you fake the ball to the running back, and all of a sudden you hit the zones behind them. And it's been very easy to throw some of these RPOs over the last year or two, especially the teams that emphasize that in their uh, offense. But nowadays, a lot of teams aren't, you know, aren't playing that. Those linebackers aren't hitting those gaps like they used to. So those RPOs aren't quite there like they used to be. And that's why I thought Washington did, did such a great job with the zone read and the speed option, doing some other things that actually they weren't ready for. And you could see it kept them all. It really kept their defense off balance. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because you, you, um, when we talked the other day, you, you said something about that. That especially with teams that aren't really, you know, stacking the box, it's not going to be as easy to run those RPOs. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting trend. I'll tell you what wasn't a trend was the zone read. Not to keep keep going back to that, but um, that thing is all over the league. Uh, real quickly before I let you run. Um, are you have you stayed in touch just out of curiosity with Robert Griffin at all? I, I I think I don't know if you were surprised. I was surprised he got picked up and he's on a roster and he's on a uh, on a team that really you know is a quality organization in the Ravens. Do you think he's matured? Maybe he's starting to figure it out a little bit. You know, just watching him from afar, I haven't talked with Robert. But, you know, I love the way he's handled himself. I mean, uh, yeah, he's matured. Um, I can just see it from the outside looking in. And to watch the way he went into Baltimore and how he handled himself, I thought he handled himself like a, a pro's, pro's pro. And that's what you got to do. And that's part of the growing experience of these young guys that they do grow up. They do look back. They understand this, some of the things they probably wish they would have done differently. But at the end of the day, you know, they're at where they're at. And, I think Robert looks at himself much differently right now than he did before, and he just wants an opportunity to prove himself. And I'm hopeful, hopefully, he does get that opportunity. 
I love doing this with you. Thank you so much. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Um, take care of yourself. Get that hip healthy. Watch a lot of football. And I may call you more often than I did when, when I was on radio because I, I love doing this. And we don't, ha- we don't have a time limit anymore, so it's perfect. You're not going to get in trouble talking to me now, are you? <laughs> not at all. I never. Okay. You know what? I never did get in trouble for well, talking good. to you. Remember, good. we were concerned about that, but I, I'm one of those people. I don't ask for permission. I just beg for forgiveness, and I didn't even yeah, have no. to do it that time. Believe but, me, uh, I know that. Well, take care, Kev. Great talking to you. Thanks, Mike, so much. Okay, bye-bye. Mike Shanahan, everybody. The Kevin Sheehan Show is presented by Window Nation. Let's bring in Mike Wells. Mike covers the Colts for ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, Mike, what was the overall take in Indianapolis on Andrew Luck's first start in a long time last week? I, I think everybody was pleased. You look at the final stat sheet, 319 yards passing, uh, but there was some nervousness at first. Colts forced a turnover, had the ball inside Cincinnati's 10-yard line, and Luck's first pass in 20 months was an interception. So they're like, oh, everybody, a little, little anxiety. But I think he settled down as the game went on, and he showed some signs of, you know, potentially getting back to being the quarterback he was before, you know, nobody was going to be perfect. I mean, nobody can go 20 months without playing in a game and all of a sudden we revert to old form. Uh, so it was definitely a step in the right direction. And the biggest thing is he survived the game, survived several big hits without any setbacks with his right shoulder. He was pretty emotional after that first game back, wasn't he? And, and do you think that now that he's gotten that game under his belt that he's going to be more comfortable and maybe dangerous starting this week? Yeah, he was definitely emotional. I mean, and, and that's been like that since he was reported to training camp because he admitted there were times where he wondered if he would ever play football again. You would not think that a guy like Andrew Luck, who was essentially like Superman early in his career, would get to the point where his body started breaking down and he questioned whether he can get back being the quarterback that he was. So it was understandable. Some people took it as he was too excited for a, a team that lost. Andrew Luck hates losing. He despised losing with a passion. But he made it through a game, took another step in his return without any setbacks. So that's why he was excited about it. And you can't fault the guy who questioned whether he would play the game again at some point. Frank Reich is the new coach. We know Frank around here. He was a quarterback at Maryland when I was at Maryland uh, and engineered the biggest comeback in college football history uh, down in the Orange Bowl against Miami and did the same in the NFL with Buffalo against Houston in a playoff game. What kind of coach do you think at this point he's going to turn out to be? Well, first of all, are you trying to say you're old? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yes, I just told you that, I think. Yeah, 1984. I, was, I, I wasn't in the Orange Bowl, but I was watching it on TV. You know, I, I think the thing about Frank Wright, uh, people were wondering how he was going to be because he was playing a second fiddle to Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels leaving the Colts at the altar in the 11th hour was the best thing to happen in Indianapolis because Frank Reich shares the same vision as general manager Chris Ballard. He knows this is going to be a rebuilding process. And the best thing for Andrew Luck, he has a former NFL quarterback as his head coach and as his play caller. I have not seen one day in practice go by where I've stepped on the practice field and, and not seen Frank Reich and Andrew Luck talking all the time. Luck had to deal with a defensive coach in Chuck Pagano the past you know, six seasons. Now he has somebody who shares the same vision for him, and he shares the same vision as Chris Ballard. This is a perfect match for the Indianapolis Colts. All right, tell us what to expect uh, as Redskin fans. Where are the Colts really strong? Where are they vulnerable? Their passing game. Their passing game is going to be is going to be something to watch out watch out for, especially 
if uh, the field conditions are not very poor, I think they're going to be fine there. Their defense forced two turnovers last week against the Bengals, so they're creative. But where the Redskins had a clear advantage at is in the running game. The Colts gave up over 100 yards rushing against Cincinnati and Joe Mixon. Um, you guys know what Adrian Peterson and company did last week against Arizona with 182 yards on the ground. This is going to, That's going to be the avenue for the Redskins to keep Andrew Luck off the football field and burn some clock by uh, being able to run the ball against Indianapolis. Ryan Grant was here for four years. Looked like he had a pretty good game in the opener. How's he fitting in? You know what? Ryan Grant, as you guys know, Ryan Grant doesn't say too much. Very no, quiet not at kid. all. And I think that kind of summed up his first game because you thought if you were to, if you were to, you in, you left the press box, left the stadium, you'd have thought T.Y. Hilton or Jack Doyle would have led the Colts in receptions. Grant had a career high eight receptions on nine targets. I would have never thought that. I had to look the stat sheet, look at the stat sheet, and see that. So it kind of fit his personality perfect. I thought he would be the number three receiver behind Hilton and Chester Rogers, but he has he has put a stranglehold on that number two receiver spot. And Andrew Luck clearly is comfortable throwing him the football. Um, t- so you, you mentioned Hilton and they've got some weapons. The guy that I really liked in the draft, um, and he went in the fourth round to Indianapolis was the NC state running back Hines. He had so much speed and so much playmaking ability. Do they like him so far? Yeah. He struggled in the preseason. He had, he, he's had a hard time holding on to the football. So we were wondering where he was going to fit into the scheme of things, but he came out there. If I'm not mistaken, he had like five or six receptions. Um, they, Frank Wright kind of envisions him like a Darren Sproles that he had in Philadelphia. You can line him up out wide. You can run him out of the backfield and, and, and pass routes, and he can make that first defender miss. He's the perfect prototypical player that fits Frank Wright's system, and I think he's going to continue to get better as the season goes on. Last question, 10 seconds. I know they're banged up along the offensive line. Is that an issue coming into FedEx Sunday? Um, yes, I mean, when you got a Kerrigan who can get to the quarterback, it's definitely an issue. It impacts what they can do offensive scheme-wise, and that's why I'm giving the Redskins the edge and let them move to 2-0 uh, come Sunday afternoon. Mike, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's time for the smell test. The young fella, Ralph Wesley, bringing me in, explaining in that quick intro, what the smell test is. It's a fade the public strategy. If a line looks so wrong and my friends are convinced that it's wrong and they're going to take Vegas for all they have, I just go against them, and usually it turns out well. It doesn't always turn out well. Eight of the 12 years I've done this, I've won. Uh, but four of the 12 years I've done this, I haven't won. But I've never gotten pounded with the smell test. I've never been in, you know, take out a second mortgage situation with the smell test. Um, before, by the way, I get to this uh, to the picks for this week, I got a tweet last week, and it prompted me to actually write a blog item, which you can find my blogs at thekevinsheanshow.com. Uh, the tweet, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was a question about what makes point spreads move and how that impacts my smell test picks. And it's a really good question because if you are betting sports, you're betting football, baseball, basketball, you should pay attention to point spread moves. They are uh, significant. Now, I'll start with this. Other than a major injury to a very important player, the only thing that really moves a point spread significantly, and that would be a point and a half in either direction or more, is sharp money. A sharp bet 
is a bet placed by a respected better, and there aren't many of them on the planet. And when I say not many of them, my offshore people tell me that basically there are a couple of dozen betters that everybody knows and everybody fears, and that's it. And when they make a sizable wager, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be sizable, that's the bet, all right? That's the bet that moves a point spread. Public money never moves a number unless there's a reason for it to move, like an injury. Or, as an example, late in the season, a team that's 13-1 and one is going to sit a bunch of starters and you don't find that out until you know very late before kickoff. Um, it's often difficult to measure the sharp influ- influenced moves early in the season because a lot of these point spreads, especially for week one, they come out in June. So you may look at a line that came out in June and it's moved two or three points, and that's not always necessarily super sharp money. That's just more informed money, and you don't get a lot of action. Vegas doesn't take a lot of action on point spread bets in June and July for the regular season. Um, but there are a couple of things, and I want to I pull up a couple of examples last week in particular about some of these line movements. Cleveland was plus four and a half uh, at home against Pittsburgh last week. On Friday, even through some of the day on Saturday, it was about four plus four. On Sunday morning, there was significant sharp action on Cleveland, and it moved the line to three. All right, that was not only sharp money, that was late sharp money, moving a point spread in the direction, by the way, where it was against public money. The public money was on Pittsburgh. The sharp money was on Cleveland. And when those two things conspire together, that usually creates a smell test pick for me. Sharp money moving the line in the opposite direction of where John Q. Public is laying down his or her money. Um, That usually is a smell test pick. I'll give you another example of that. Last week, Kansas... Kansas had lost in week one to Nichols State. And people were saying how embarrassing Kansas's uh, football program was, how they should essentially do away with it. They weren't capable of competing in the Big 12, and they still might not be. Um, and they were going to Central Michigan in week two, and Central Michigan started as a six-and-a-half, seven-point favorite. Recent impressions on Kansas for the betting public was they stink, and anybody laying anything less than a touchdown, you got to play against Kansas because Kansas you know, isn't going to beat anybody. So all of the public money was on Central Michigan, laying six and a half, seven, and all of a sudden the numbers started to come down. It went down to five by Friday or Friday afternoon last week. Sharp money. On Kansas. Kansas, by the way, returns one of the most veteran lineups with more returning starters than almost any team in the country. And they had a terrible week one, but sharp betters thought they're not as terrible as we saw in week one. The public didn't know that. The line, the uh, Central Michigan was getting bet heavily by the public. The point spreads dropping, and by kickoff on Saturday afternoon, Kansas was getting three points. The line had gone from seven to three with the public money all on Central Michigan at almost a 75 to 25% ratio. 
And yet the point spread was going the opposite direction because sharp bettors were betting Kansas. Kansas won the game outright 31-7. to It wasn't even close. The Sharps won. The public lost. Kansas was one of my smell test winners a week ago. All right, let's get to this week. The smell test, by the way, last week, not great. 4-4-1. Four, four, um, the Kansas game was my favorite pick of the week last week, and I talked about that last Friday. Um, I gave out Cincinnati last night as a smell test pick. All the public money was on Baltimore. Uh, so my record for the season is 6-8-1. and one. Let's go to, to tomorrow. There are actually several games I like, but only a couple I'm going to give out officially. And I'm, I'm going to start with Auburn. Auburn's laying a ton of points at home to LSU. They're laying 10.5 currently. Um, there's perceived value from the public um, getting more than 10 points and playing LSU, who pummeled Miami, remember, two weeks ago in the opener. I personally don't think at this point, it's my guess, I don't think the Canes are very good. Um, I think LSU is is capable, but they're not Auburn good. All right, Jarrett Stidham is a good college quarterback. Auburn's defense is very good again, and the public in this big mid-September SEC game, CBS three thirty tomorrow, the public loves LSU plus the number. The smell test rarely gives out big favorites. But I think Auburn rolls tomorrow. Lay the 10.5, and, and if you know what you're doing, and it's sitting there at 10.5, buy the half point and lay the 10. The Pac-12 overwhelming favorite this year was Washington. All right, The Huskies lost to Auburn in the opener in Atlanta. It was a very good football game. They actually had a chance to win it. They're on the road this week at Utah. The line opened up at 6.5, Washington laying 6.5. It's down to 5 now. A ton of sharp money. On Utah, public loading up on Washington. Give me Utah plus the five. I think they win this game outright. I think they're very good. Um, the other games I liked and I didn't give out. I like TCU. I like Toledo. I like San Diego State. I like North Texas. They just didn't completely fit the smell test criteria. So I'm passing on those games. The only two college games are Auburn minus ten and a half and Utah plus five. Let's get to Sunday. The Buffalo Bills were a smell test pick last week. <laughs> it didn't quite work out. They lost 47-3 to uh, with Nathan Peterman, again, starting a quarterback. I don't know what Sean McDermott sees in Nathan Peterman, but I hope he doesn't see it again if you're a Bills fan. They're going to start Josh Allen on Sunday, the rookie from Wyoming. Um, they're at home playing the Chargers, who lost their opener, too. This is one of the biggest public plays of the weekend. The Chargers laying seven and a half. Recent impressions, Buffalo getting pounded. Even though the Chargers lost, the perception is they lost to a good team in Kansas City. And so the public loves the Chargers on Sunday laying seven and a half in Buffalo. I like Buffalo plus the seven and a half. This may be the biggest need for any bookmaker or any sports book, legal or illegal, on Sunday. They will all need Buffalo plus the points. Give me the bills, as painful as it might be, plus the seven and a half. Um, Tampa. Tampa was the most impressive team of the weekend. Uh, blowing out New Orleans. They were a smell test pick last week. I said last week I'm taking all the big dogs that Vegas needs. Tampa was one of them. 
I gave you the example of whenever a team is minus 9 or minus 10, that fits in perfectly with the dope bettors who like to bet teasers, three-team teasers, and all they had to have with New Orleans last week, getting an additional nine points, is they just needed New Orleans to win the game. I'm telling you, those minus 9.5s, minus 10s are always dangerous when you want to play a favorite. Uh, that's why I had Tampa last week. Tampa this week is getting three against the Eagles, and nobody's buying Tampa's win last week with Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing for 400-plus yards and four or five touchdowns. I forget what the final total was. Um, and the Eagles got the win. Didn't look impressive, but people love the Eagles. The public loves Philadelphia this weekend, minus three. They perceive the number at Tampa to be super short, like it looks wrong. You know, this is one of those, wait a minute, I know Tampa played well last week, but still, Philadelphia, they're the defending Super Bowl champions. They should be laying more than three points. Well, Vegas hasn't touched that line yet. It's just sticking at three. I've seen a, a few three-and-a-halves out there. I like Tampa Bay plus the three in this particular game. Um, a couple of other games real quickly. I like Jacksonville at home in the AFC Championship rematch. It's a pick em. Public likes New England. Nobody likes Blake Bortles. I don't think he's terrible. I will say this. Their defense looked awesome again last week against the Giants. Um, give me Jacksonville in a pick in that game. And then the Bears are favored by three at home against the Seahawks in the Monday night game this week. The public loves Seattle. I like the Bears. I actually thought they looked good against Green Bay. I thought Trubisky looked good. I thought defensively they looked good. Give me the Bears minus the three in that one. All right, so recapping. On Saturday, Auburn minus 10.5, Utah plus 5. On Sunday, um, I like, in order, the Bills, the Bucks, the Jags, and the Bears. Did I miss one? The Bucks. Bills, Bucks, Jags, and Bears are my Sunday smell test picks. Let's get to Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend, it's Friday football quick picks. And I bring in one of my good friends for this segment this week, and maybe we'll do this often because I love Tim Murray. Tim, of course, worked at 980 for several years and hosted Morning Drive on Bleacher Report Radio and is doing a podcast with Solly and with Scott Lynn. How do people get that podcast? Uh, Patreon.com backslash Lynn Murray Solly. There you go. There you go. And that is a paid podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Some people have already told me I should be charging. You but should be. I'm not. Um, but we'll figure that out down the road. But I, I, I love Tim, and Tim and I... Uh, Tim's, I, I would guess at 980 over the years, you, me, and Solly were the biggest degenerates, don't you think? Yeah. No one else sort of, you know, got into the gambling stuff as, well, as much. Oh, we used to of, yell at Zabe all the time because oh, he, he never knew what, he'd be like, oh, this line stinks, so I'm going, no, no, you go the other he, way. Zabe is one of the smartest people <laughs> I have brilliant. ever know, known. He's brilliant, and he is a masterful sports talk radio host. He is. He struggles with numbers. 
Math has never been his strong suit. No, it's not. At all. All right, Friday football quick picks. This is what we do typically. We first talk about the best games of the weekend. Give me a couple of games you've got your eye on this weekend. Well, I think a lot of people, a game you mentioned, your smell test, and I showed Aaron my pad over here of the games. You and I, I always have the same like, games. Yeah, I like Auburn minus the 10.5. You know, a game that I'm really excited about is Boise State going to Stillwater. Yeah. Um, I think this Boise State team is really good. Uh, you got uh, Rippon is back. It feels like he's been there for about a decade. Uh, this is a really talented Boise State football team. And, and just think about what Oklahoma State lost. Now, I'm a huge Mike Gundy believer, and uh, they're more on uh, administration saying that it doesn't recruit well enough is just idiotic to me because he figures out ways with two and three stars to be right there with Oklahoma every single year. That all being said, when you lose Mason Rudolph, when you lose Washington out of your backfield, this isn't as talented of a team that we have seen in recent years. So I'm very curious to see Boise State and Oklahoma State. And, and then the late night game. Now, love Pac-12 after dark. And uh, rice Eccles Stadium, home of Utah, is going to be bumping. And that place is very underrated as absolutely. a home field environment. And, and you like you like Utah, too, like plus Utah. the number. Yeah, that number's come down a little bit. Um, I, I liked Washington coming into this season. I uh, wasn't thrilled about what I saw against Auburn. I was surprised at how, uh, how they weren't able to execute in the red zone like you would expect from a team that is led by Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin and Chris Peterson, who I – think is you know a top five if not top three coach in the game but I think this is a spot where Utah under the lights can absolutely pull off an upset so those are the two big games that I'm looking forward to uh this Saturday I think a lot of people are are maybe because of you know because of the 330 kickoff on CBS with LSU and Auburn you know Boise State Oklahoma State is is a little bit under the radar I'm very curious I think Boise State uh, has got a great chance of being that group of five uh, participant in the New Year Six this year. I'm looking forward to watching the Saturday night game. You know that I'm. Uh, I had a son graduate from TCU. I've been a Horn Frogs fan here since he started going to school there. I think Gary Patterson consistently is one of the top five coaches in America and one of the best defensive minds in America. And Dwayne Haskins from right here in, in, at, in Bullis. at Bullis. Yep. Um, who had committed to Maryland initially and is now the starting quarterback at Ohio State, and he's had two great games as a starter against Oregon State and against Rutgers. He's facing a real defense. Now, some people will look, this game's in Dallas, it's in Jerry World, that's not going to be a home field advantage for TCU. There will be more Ohio State fans, I think, in that stadium than TCU fans because the fan base is so huge and they'll travel for this game. Well, and TCU's not really a big school, right? It's like 10, 12,000, something it's, like It's 8,500 undergrad. Then, I mean, Ohio State's, what, the biggest university in the country? 60,000 or something insane like that? Yeah, they're going to travel. Uh, this will be a, I think, a pro-Ohio State um, crowd. I like this game, though, and I think TCU's got a chance to give Ohio State a very difficult game. Um, I thought that number, Tim, when I was, I was looking for it on Sunday afternoon, I thought it was going to be 17, and it came out at 10 and a half, 11. It's gone up a little bit. I think it's 12, 12 and a half, somewhere around there. But I think TCU's got a chance to keep it close. I did want to ask you, too, Tim's a massive Notre Dame fan. Um, and they opened up with that big win over Michigan and then struggled last week, maybe a letdown game against Ball State, 24-16, um, to 16, I think, was the final. Yeah. Um, and they play Vandy. Vandy's won two games. Uh, is Notre Dame legit or not? 
Uh, I think the jury's still out on that. I think the offensive line, when you lose two top 10 picks on your left side and Mike McGlinchey, who's now at the 49ers, and then a guy we'll see this weekend, Quentin Nelson, who plays for the Colts, uh, that it's it's difficult to uh, replenish and, and just rebuild. They're not of the Alabama stature. Uh, but I think they're better than they're absolutely better than what they showed last Saturday. Their defense is legit. They've got a very good defense. They've got good corners. They've actually got a deep defensive line, which they haven't had in years. And this line, to me, screams pick Vanderbilt. Yeah, a little and I bit. think a lot of people are because of what you saw recently and Vanderbilt uh, blowing out their two you know, garbage opponents that they played in Nevada and Middle Tennessee State. I think a lot of people are are going on Vanderbilt. Remember last year when Vanderbilt got chesty and started talking smack about Alabama and a game that was on CBS? CBS put them in the 330 time slot. I think it was the first time in like two decades Vanderbilt had been on that prime 330 time slot. Alabama just mopped the floor with them in Nashville. Now, I don't think Notre Dame's going to do that necessarily on Saturday, but there's been a lot of people. Paul Feinbaum, I heard I was listening to another podcast. Andy Staples said, you know, watch out for Vanderbilt here. I think Notre Dame wins this game rather comfortably. Uh, that's Tim, Tim Murray, um, my good friend, joining me here for Friday Football Quick Picks. Uh, we'll get to the Sunday games that we think are the biggest games of the day in a moment. I, just, I do want to mention Maryland, um, who has Temple at home, uh, Temple's, Temple's not bad. they're not very good this year. Uh, Maryland is surprisingly good to most, but I, I, I forget if you and I had this conversation before all of the controversy and, and the tragedy um, that, that took place here starting last spring. Maryland's got talent that you know DJ Durkins recruited back-to-back top 25 classes. They had a couple of key transfers in, including Cowart from uh, Auburn. They have speed on both sides of the ball. I'm not talking about Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan, you know, speed, uh, you know, at, in, in their division in the Big Ten. But this is a team, Maryland, if they are healthy and they haven't been the last few years, they can win eight games this year. And I would be shocked if they don't win this game easily. Uh, I'm actually, I, that was one of the games I looked at. Maryland's about a 16, 17 point favorite. I thought, up I thought it would have been three. I, I thought it would have been three touchdowns. Well, I think it's went up from like, it started 14. at 11 and a half. Yeah, or I saw it at 14 as he opened. Low. Uh, Temple was a team. Uh, I talked to Phil Steele before the year, and, and he was bullish on Temple maybe winning the AAC Eastern Division, and they have gotten off to as dreadful as a start as you could imagine. They lost uh, to Crosstown FCS rival right. Villanova, who's a good program, but you still can't be losing that game. They lose to Buffalo last week. So this is not a very good football team. Uh, the road to eight wins is absolutely achievable. Uh, this team, you've talked about it, and I heard you talk about it yesterday, should be 4-0 and come the Michigan game. And then you're looking at you know toss-up games like at Iowa. That's always a difficult place to play. It's a noon kick at Kinnick Stadium. I think the Michigan State game right now is a bit of a toss-up game because that's at Maryland. Michigan State didn't look all that impressive nope. last weekend against Arizona State. So I really think the road to eight wins because Illinois got awful. Rutgers is terrible. Uh, Indiana doesn't look very good right now. So the road to eight wins is is absolutely achievable for this team. It is. We'll see what happens um, in their first real test, which would come in Ann Arbor, uh, potentially as a 4-0 team. Minnesota's banged up. They get them uh, next week at home. Um 
The best game of the weekend is the rematch of the AFC Championship game on Sunday. Jacksonville hosting New England. I really like Jacksonville again this year. I just think they are shut down defensively. Fournette's a key. They need him healthy. I'm assuming he's going to play. You know, there was one of those fake Twitter accounts early in the week that said he was out for the year, and I bought into it for about three hours. And I'm like, damn, because I I like watching Jacksonville play. And I'm not a Blake Bortles hater. I think he's good enough with that defense and running game. Uh, This is the game of the weekend. And there are a couple of them on Sunday. Vikings-Packers is huge. We'll see whether or not Rodgers plays. But that's a big game in the NFC North. Um, Chiefs at Steelers is a big game early for Pittsburgh and a measuring stick game for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, But I I can't wait to watch the 425 Jacksonville-New England game Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I think you hit on a bunch of the games that I was thinking too. I I just think at some point the talent that Pittsburgh has, it's going to get – eventually just overshadowed it's Ben Roethlisberger's getting up there in age and just everything that is happening with the you know unrest in the locker room with Le'Veon Bell I know James Conner looked good week one uh it just feels like this is the year that the AFC North is is really up for grabs because Cincinnati looked great last night against Baltimore I was a little bullish on Baltimore entering the year I think Cleveland from what we saw, you know, last Sunday, they don't suck anymore. No, they don't. So the AFC North, to me, even though every year you just kind of penciled in Pittsburgh, it feels like for the past five or six years, I have no idea what to think about that. Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes look good in Week One, so you start o one and one if you're Pittsburgh, you're you're in a bit of trouble. Let me give you a team two to keep an eye on this weekend, and this is a big game early in the season in the NFC South, and that is Carolina at Atlanta. Atlanta lost the opener. Carolina completely shut down Dallas. Who knows what Dallas is? They don't look very good offensively. Um, I think Carolina is under the radar a little bit. They were a playoff team last year. Norv Turner is now the offensive coordinator. They've got talent defensively. Last night I was with Clinton Portis, Tim, doing the Redskins Showtime uh, recording, which airs, by the way, Sunday at 1130, so an hour and a half before kickoff on Channel 4. Um, with Sherry Burris uh, hosting. She does a great job. Mike Jones is in on the the show this week with Clinton. And Clinton and I were sitting around um, before the show started, and I said, who do you like so far? And he's ripping through teams. I said, Carolina. He goes, yeah. He goes, Carolina is one of those teams because Cam's back running running again, and Norv is is saying, this is what you do. They, They really went to more of that last year, if you recall. Cam said, I don't mind it. Um, I think the Panthers are a dangerous team, and I think that is you got good matchups in Week Two. You, important early season matchups: Carolina, Atlanta, Chiefs, Steelers, Vikings, Packers, Jags, Pats. These are all big games uh, in in Week Two. Who's on upset alert this weekend? Uh, well, we talked about. It. I think Washington. If we if we want to go to the college ranks, I yep. think Washington's absolutely uh, on upset alert. So that would be for me uh, a big team on upset alert. When it comes to the college ranks, I think the Eagles are on upset alert. I think the Bucks can do it two weeks in a row. Now they are down at the corner position. Their secondary is ravaged, and yet, as I mentioned in the smell test, boy, Vegas just keeping that line right there. Three, <laughs> they're just suckering everybody into betting Philadelphia, laying the three points. I don't know what the deal is with Tampa. They there's something about these veteran quarterbacks. They start to figure it out at 34, 35 if they've been a journeyman quarterback for their entire careers. Like, you know, like a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's got weapons. 
You know, he's got legitimate weapons in Evans and Jackson and, and some of the others. Um, I think the, the Philadelphia Eagles, if you call that an upset as a three-point favorite on the road, I think most people would think it's a bit of an upset. And I also like the Panthers at Atlanta. I think they've got a chance to go in and win that game uh, as well. I'm with you. I, I like Utah a lot Saturday night um, against Washington uh, in uh, in college football. Um, stick around. We're going to do Redskins score and more to finish up the show. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. How much skins talk are you doing on your podcast? Well, I do another uh, podcast because that's what everyone does. It's all the rage. So I, I hooked up with the uh, with the guys over at Sports Capital. Yeah. Um, Brian McNally, Ben, ben, Stan- uh, ben Standing, and Todd Dibus. And uh, I do a weekly pod there. So every Tuesday, I kind of recap the Redskins game, talk a little college football, Maryland and, and Navy, obviously, since I'm a part of that. Right. So it was kind of riff and have fun. Uh, so, yeah, I do a little bit of Redskins stuff. So how stuff. do people get that podcast? Uh, just go to the Sports Capital DC. Follow me on Twitter, at one Tim Murray, And uh, everything that I throw out there will be on there. All right. So the Redskins and the Colts, the home opener um, on Sunday. Uh, I want your prediction here in a moment. Here's mine. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think the Colts are going to move the football. I think the Redskins are going to move the football. The, the weather is apparently not going to be an issue Sunday. Um, I'm very curious to see what kind of crowd – uh, shows up for this game. I, I don't think anybody's you know jumping in, you know head first after a pounding of Arizona in Week One. I think most Redskin fans, legitimate, reasonable Redskin fans, are in wait and see mode, um, and they probably don't even view Indianapolis as like a real measuring stick game either. But if they got to two and zero next week, would all of the sudden against Green Bay? become big but I think Andrew Luck is going to move the football and I like the Redskins defense it's it's to me Tim the reason to be optimistic about the season because it could be much improved but I think Indy's going to move the football I think the Redskins are going to move the football I see a lot of points in this game and I see Dustin Hopkins from 55 yards out 55 yards out at the gun to win this one 34-31 over the Colts. I think it's a shootout. I think it's a highly entertaining game. I think Luck's going for 303 touchdowns in this game. I think the Redskins will show that they can move the football like they did last week with a, a really good Jay Gruden game plan. They have an advantage up front uh, offensive line against uh, against Indy's front seven. I would expect Indy to stack the box and make Alex Smith throw the football down the field, which he didn't do in week one. But I like the Redskins to win. I just don't like them to cover. 34-31. It's pretty bullish to say that the Redskins are going to hit a 55-yard field goal after, what, the a professional soccer game was played on that masterful field uh, on Tuesday oh, I night. I forgot about and that. And rain is going to fall over that. the next what couple we, days. I don't know anything about the field conditions. It's going to be any, terrible. Has anything, it's going to be horrible. Has anything been written about the field conditions? Yeah, people have mentioned it. No one's actually – I don't know if anyone's actually – given a great story on what the field conditions look like, but certainly there were a lot of uh, jokes made about Tuesday night. The fact that you know, five days before I a season opener, that. there's a soccer game, and then there's a hurricane that. coming to town as well. Well, there isn't, though. The hurricane's <laughs> not going to be in town, which is the good news. But I forgot about the soccer game. There. And there was a college football game yeah. what, two weeks ago there with Maryland and yep. Texas. You would hope that In the it's... rain. Um, so you like the over. Big time. Yeah, I like Overs, the over. Uh, it's 48. 48. So I would say take the over. I'm from here. I haven't, you know, I, I'm in the, the generation 
Kevin, where I didn't get to enjoy anything of the Redskins, basically. <laughs> you You're young. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old, so I've never really – I was a, a wee lad last time this, this franchise was respectable every single year. So the fact that I'm looking at the public pounding the Redskins makes me extremely cautious about this Sunday. And this is an important game. I don't, I don't think there's such things as trap games in the NFL. It's, they're professionals. But you've got Green Bay coming up the following week. Then you got the bye. Then you got New Orleans. This is a big stretch here. And this, when you look at the schedule, you talked about Tampa. That Tampa game doesn't look like the, the easiest one that it initially did when the, when the schedule came out. So this is very important for the Redskins. As you mentioned a couple days ago, if you want them to be playing meaningful football in December, this is close to a must-win situation for the Redskins. I think they get it done. I agree with you. Uh, that the Indianapolis defense isn't going to be that much uh, of an issue for the Redskins to to run the ball. Uh, I'll say 31-27, Redskins get the win. Uh, instead of a, a late field goal, I say a late touchdown gets it from down 27-24. We'll see what Alex Smith has. He'll lead them down a late touchdown pass to Jordan Reed uh, with about 56 seconds to go. We'll give the Redskins a 31-27 lead. Uh, the lead and the win, so over and Colts cover. Yeah, you and I both like the Colts plus the points, and we like the over in the game. Um, thank you for doing this. No I'd problem. like to do it with you uh, whenever you want to do it. And follow Tim on Twitter and and listen to all of his podcasts. <laughs> Tim, Tim, seriously, when it comes to you know gambling discussion, um, is a is a sharp. He's got a sharp view. Not off to a good start. But hey, but, but Army I'll, minus six and a half. Public loves Hawaii. Uh, they love Hawaii. Noon kickoff at six a.m. Hawaii time. So that would be my uh, my parting gift to you. Army minus the six and a half against I three and oh Hawaii. I saw that one and I thought about it. Um, thank you. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Monday. I'm back with all of the Redskins Colts recap. Uh, we'll have a guest on as well, somebody who was at the game. Um, but I'm loved. I'm loving doing this right now. It's a lot of fun, and I appreciate all the support. Aaron Oster was in producing today, and he's going to continue, hopefully, to produce the show moving forward. Um, so thanks to all of you. Thanks, to, by the way, it, Mike Shanahan was awesome as always, and it sounds like, uh, and I've had a chance to talk to Mike that he's going to come on with me, you know, every few weeks to, to sort of go around the league and, and tell us uh, what he's seeing and what he's thinking. And he did say, you know, and it's true, it's really hard to figure the NFL out in the first few weeks. It, it, it really very rarely is an indicator of sort of what will come in December and January. But there are, in terms of the standings, potentially down the road, some big week two games. Back on Monday with Skins Colts recap, a lot of it. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody.